Alrighty. Um, well, I think the microphone. I think the microphone is working now. I see what happened. I got them. I got the headphones turned in backwards to the wrong thing, and that's why I couldn't hear what I was saying. And that's the kind of stuff that happens when you do something different. And we're doing something different today. We got two people instead of one people. And uh, one people. How do you like that, eh? All right, Austin Barker's here with us today, and I think this is his microphone. Let's see, say, say a word or two there. Let's see that. Good morning, everybody. Yep, I got you. Okay, good deal. Um, just trying to make sure that we got the right thing rolling here. Uh, ask Austin to come in just because every now and then on a Friday, I thought we would get back together. We were a pretty good duo on the radio for a number of years. How long? Year, year and a half? Yeah, it was all of a year and a half. I think it's 19 year, months. Yeah, okay. I thought it was close to two years. So um, we did the radio thing together for a while. And, um, of course, when uh, Gary Miller retired, that put an end to his radio talk. And, of course, if you go there now, you can listen to Christian Oldies from, like, the 80s and 90s. It's actually a great a, a great station. I mean, it's a great if you enjoy that. And I do. I, I'm kind of a... I like the Christian music from that era, so it's a good thing. And uh, I've decided to carry on uh, here for a while, hopefully uh, for a number of years, as long as people like what we do. We're live on Facebook right now. Good morning to all of our Facebook listeners. And if you've downloaded the podcast, uh, whatever time of day it is, I hope you're having a great day and that you enjoy the podcast today. If you do, how about do me a favor, uh, wherever you listen to the podcast, if you'll leave me a good review uh, that may inspire other people to go, yeah, we want to take a look at this guy and see what we think. All right. Um, I, I wanted to start out before Austin and I dive into uh, some conversation about some stuff that's been on his mind, um, as well as as I as my mind. We I've, I've been thinking about talking about the subject, uh, nor, uh, rich men north of Richmond. We, I've talked about it twice on the program now, and uh, Austin's done a lot of thinking about it. So we're going to flesh that out a little bit because of the the phenomenon that it's become. But before we do that, um, a federal judge has blocked a Southern California school district from punishing teachers who notify parents about their child's purported gender transition in violation of district policy. Now, this is a huge ruling for a lot of reasons. Um, we're, we're beginning to get court rulings on gender transition surgery on minors that are as blocking the surgery, which that's a good thing, but one of the things that that hasn't been fleshed out in the courts now specifically is whether or not a school district can force teachers to withhold information from parents that the school district thinks that they shouldn't have. And this Southern California district judge has ruled and saying it was a he was an appointee by George W. Bush. He's been in uh, office for a while, but he has ruled that in fact the school district can't do that. The school doesn't have the right to step in between a parent and their child, particularly with something as important as the gender that they've decided to pursue, that that information has to be released. Um, the Thomas More Society, and I'm reading, this is all coming from Daily Wire today, um, no, Daily Signal, excuse me. The Thomas More Society represents Elizabeth Marabelli and Lori Ann West, two teachers in the Escondido Union School District. With 55 years of experience between them, the teachers sued the district after it established Policy Administration Regulation 5145.3, which mandates that teachers and school staff will immediately accept a student's expressed gender identity and bars teachers from revealing the student's claimed gender identity to parents or guardians unless the student consents to notifying them. So all this came out in a training session back in February of 2022, when a district instructor told teachers that if they revealed a student's stated transgender identity to parents or to other individuals who do not have a legitimate need for the information. Can you say that again? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, well, maybe. For <laughs> <laughs> this is um, in a training session. The district instructor told teachers that if they revealed a student's stated transgender identity to parents or to other individuals who do not have a legitimate need for the information. So the assumption here by the school district, by the school, is that parents don't have a legitimate need for information about their children if they're making a decision that they want to be some gender other than the gender they were born, which is 
I, I mean, I, I'll let that sink in for you. I mean, for parents a need to know if you take a Tylenol on a field trip. Sure. But they don't need to know that you're changing your gender identity. You, you have to get permission notes for everything in school yep. uh, because they're scared to death of lawsuits. But what's happening now, by the way, this is interesting. There's a story out the other day that says now school districts are backing off of this some on their own simply because they're worried about law uh, about lawsuits in the other direction that they're getting sued, just like this school district is being sued by these two teachers, and they're actually, the school districts are losing, and the schools are losing the lawsuits, or at least... Well, their lawyers think they will, and yeah. so they're advising the school right. districts to roll back those policies because right. they said, we're not going to win this case. Well, and the, the judge in this case, I think, makes, a, makes a, a really good point. But before I get to that, let, let me give you a little bit more background. Uh, in August 2022, the teachers received an email with a list of students including their preferred names and pronouns. The list included directions on whether teachers could disclose the names and program, uh, pronouns to the students, parents, or guardians. Marabelli reportedly received an email with a list of students like this. Student name, preferred name is, redacted, of course they're not going to put the names in there, pronouns are he, him, dad, and stepmom are not aware, and not is in capital letters, please use redacted, which would be a name that would be acceptable. It would be the name that the, the stepmom and the dad uh, actually when, when use because when he or she, when she, her, when calling home, in other words, you, you have to use she, her, because it's a female, and you have to use her actual name when you call home. But at school, you're required to use the other name that would have been presented in this email. I know it's a little bit confusing. I mean, when did you think we'd be having conversations and having to keep straight in our mind whether we're going to call a child by their given name that uh, recognizes their birth gender or we're going to give a child a, a different name that recognizes a gender that they have chosen that we're going to then conceal from the parents so we have to use another name when we call the parents, which is the name that they gave them. I mean, this is... I, I can't live in that world. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's it's pretty hard for, I think, anybody to live in that world. I vote no on that world. Judge Roger T. Benitez in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of California ruled last week that teachers are likely to prevail on their religious freedom claims, and he granted a preliminary injunction. He cited nine uh, Supreme Court cases, nine, saying that parents have a right grounded in the Constitution to direct the education, health, and upbringing, and to maintain the well-being of their children. Now, this is a this is a judge, and and again, all he's doing is quoting Supreme Court cases that have already been adjudicated on this, and so he's got plenty of legal precedent. Um, these uh, the California officials are likely going to defend the policies that hide the truth from parents, but Benitez's ruling may well provide a framework. This is the last paragraph for striking down such policies. Um, as the representative of the legal firm that took the case, as, as that person said, in any case, these issues are likely to rise to higher courts and parental notification ultimately may reach the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, probably will, but if, if the Supreme Court precedent means anything, then it should be that this, this case will be upheld, this win in California will be upheld by the Supreme Court should it get that far. This is actually, it's actually, they didn't make a judgment on the merits of the case. This is simply um, the judge issued an injunction because he said that it was likely that these two teachers would prevail, and so they can refuse the school's policy. They can, uh, they can say we're not going to abide by the policy until this makes its way through the courts or another judge intervenes. So this is far from over. Uh, but I guess you could say it's a pretty good start. All right, um, Austin's here today, and we appreciate the fact that he came in to be part of the program. Um, you wanted to talk about a little bit of a deeper philosophical discussion about rich men north of Richmond, so I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of lay the groundwork for all of that. Well, and I appreciate it. I appreciate you inviting me on. Sure. We threatened to do this a few times and uh, finally made it happen, so yeah. that's great. I enjoy it. appreciate it. Appreciate what you do here. I've listened to you all the time. Can you talk a little faster? Because when I listen to you on the podcast, 
I have you up to 1.5 speed. Wow. And you sound a lot smarter whenever at 1.5 speed. Because it sounds like you're just rattling this stuff off. You've got yeah. this all top yeah. of mind, you know. So. Well, I'm, I'm going to be 66 next month. So, no, I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to, if you want me at 1.5, you'll just have to put me there, I think. <laughs> so, so um, I want to say up front, and I think this is helpful for our listeners and several of whom I know, um, that you know, my goal in having conversations like this is definitely not to cast aspersion on any conservative or Christian idea. Right. The reason that I dig as deeply into these issues and try and take the count, take the other side and listen to the counterfactual. And the reason I do that is not only to promote critical thinking, but it's also to stress test our best ideas yeah. and say, I want to make sure that um, this idea is sound and that it's defensible when we walk out in. I've just encountered enough of our Christian ideas that are that that are supported with bad reasoning. And I'll just give you one quick example. Um, I've talked about even on this podcast in your absence, um, Roy Moore in Alabama. You know, he's defending putting the Ten Commandments up on the wall of the courtroom. You remember this right. when oh, it was yeah. going on? Absolutely. So um, in 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 the you know when Roy Moore is stump speeching out in front of a sympathetic audience, he's saying, you know, we, they're, t- we're wanting to take God out of our culture. They're wanting to take God out of our classroom or God out of our courtroom. We got to keep God in the courtroom. That's what he said. And that's what the fundraising letters that I got said. Okay. Right. But then when they walked in the courtroom, they said, oh no, this is not about religion at all. This is about our Judeo-Christian heritage and the impact that that has on American blah, 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 blah. So they made two different arguments in two different places. And I'm like, which one is the real argument here? I don't like that. I want an argument that will stand the weight that'll bear the weight that we put on it, whether it's in a courtroom or whether it's in a dining room. So that's why I do kind of what I do. And that's, I've really dug in fairly deeply into this song, Richmond, North of Richmond. Well, Um, I'm glad because I got to tell you, and this is not going to make me popular probably, uh uh, but I'm not a big fan of of the song. I mean, look, I'm glad for um, the guy, what's his name? Oliver Anthony. Oliver Anthony. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad that he's had success. I'm glad that you know he's. This is a typical um, uh, American dream story where you plod along, doing something that you enjoy, wondering if other people will get anything out of it, and all of a sudden you strike gold. I mean, right. And in this case, it's platinum. I mean, uh-huh. he just you know it went it went crazy for a lot of reasons. Sixty nine million views within yeah. some thirty. 40 days yeah. on, on YouTube. See, and, and we're talking about worldwide. This is not yes, just an right. American That's right. cultural phenomenon. This has touched people, uh, a chord in people all over the world. So, And I appreciate you saying, you know, that this is this genre of music and his style and his vocals and his, you know, pro- probably not my first choice either, you know. But, well, and I like country music. I'm right. just, but I don't like every just like any other kind of genre of music i mean there's some that i like some that i don't like that's right and this is just not something that's right in my wheelhouse and, but i understand and it. i don't feel the need to have any opinion on the on the artist's right. craft right because that's merely preference yep, but what i really preference. do care about is his ideas because that goes way beyond preference to right. where we can really conduct some objective worldview analysis on right. on what he's what, the ideas that he's actually peddling yeah and uh, so, uh, so my question was, and, and, and I went through a whole lot of questions to finally harrow this one out and get to the kind of what I feel like is the meatiest question, um, is does Richmond, north of Richmond, express a Christian idea? And the reason that I finally ended up there is because I saw a whole bunch of people, I read hundreds of the YouTube comments on his YouTube video and watched several reaction videos yeah. of people watching his song. And, you know, I, it's a dumb genre of video. It, they do it on TikTok and Facebook and whatever. And then you have the little person, like you have the video and then you have the person reacting and they're waving their finger around saying, yeah, I agree with that. Oh, you know? okay. So anyway, that's the whole <laughs> influencer uh, uh space, I guess. And right. I don't frequent that space very much. But anyway, I've watched some of these to kind of get an idea of how people are reacting to it. And they're all just like, I mean, some people crying on screen in response to the guy's ideas. Yeah, I, they're I, just I, like... I cried the first time I heard Did it, you? I are you being serious? No, I'm not being I'm serious. I'm glad you're not being serious. <laughs> but if, if I did, it would have been for a, for a different reason. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm a prude. Okay. okay. I am a proud okay. prude. Okay. I think I'm going to get me a shirt that says, oh, I raised my hand and that made the camera move. Oh, Back over here. It's all right. That? It's okay. We're still care. in the frame. Yep. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm a proud prude in the sense that I, I still think that using language like that is in this song and everybody embraces it and treats it as if it's nothing. You know, I haven't even heard anybody. 
I, I think See, I'm the only person yes, on the planet that and said, I, and I do believe you're right. Why are okay? we being? Why do we have to be crass? Well, the, the the working class that's being subjected to all of this—that's their frustration coming out. That's the way that they would express this, and I connect with that. Well, okay. When I watched reaction videos, it was when he used those words. Yeah, okay, yeah. then they were like, yeah. "Yeah," they really leaned into the song when he used that because right. profanity serves the purpose. It's a linguistic purpose. It serves as a uh, as a um, intensifier. Right. And so if you want to make a point and you want to make it more strongly than you could without profanity, you use profanity to intensify. Now, yeah. some people use it so frequently that it doesn't even serve its purpose anymore. But when you use it artfully, that is its purpose, is yeah. to intensify. So he's intensifying his point. You know, your wages aren't worth blank. Okay. And and it, rather than saying your wages are worth less than they used to be. Well, it's yeah. a lot more effective <laughs> to say your wages ain't worth blank. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah I get it. So but... it's effective. But the fact is that I've heard Christians, just like you said, Tony, you made a really, really valuable point. They don't even notice it. They don't even, whenever they're analyzing the song, if they even get that far, okay, rather than just responding emotionally to the point that he's making, and he makes some good ones. But whenever they, whenever they hear that, they just like, yeah, right. And their Christianity never kicks in and says, that's objectionable to me. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, but, but look. I lost that battle a long time ago. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think I'm one of the few that would call that out because I really haven't. Seriously, I don't know that I've heard anybody else mention that. Listen, so, my so, mouth is not as clean as I want it to be. Okay, yeah, and yeah. so I struggle in in that area with with what I with with the words that I choose to use under certain circumstances. And so, even as a person who struggles in that area. I want I want it to be very clear that when I use those words, that's not my Christianity speaking. I'm well, not speaking Christianly when I say that word. Right. Well, the argument is that we have made we have decided what meaning to ascribe to those words and whether they're acceptable acceptable or not. That's a cultural issue, not a biblical issue. That's the argument. And my argument is that the Bible says let no unwholesome thing come out of your mouth. And I don't think that the culture can just one day decide that words that have been uh, historically, traditionally used in a vulgar or low way, we can suddenly just decide that those words are acceptable to assuage our conscience when we decide to use them all the time. I think that's but a anyway. super important part of the song that goes yeah. completely invisible in the analysis yeah. of the song. So, so what's some I appreciate of the you, say, you bringing that stuff. part up. Okay, yeah. so coming back to the original question, does yeah. Richmond, North of Richmond, express a Christian idea? Yeah. And so that profanity weighs heavily on that question. Okay, but other than that, I've heard a lot of Christians and a lot of conservatives express a lot of sympathy for the messages being expressed in this song. I'll just give you a couple of them that really resonate with me and with other conservatives like me is this, you know, if you're five foot three and 300 pounds and you're on, on, on food stamps, I resent the fact that my money, that my tax money is going to subsidize your, your fudge rounds habit. Right. Okay. That's a very conservative. That's compatible with conservative. It's even maybe compatible with Christianity. I don't know if that's a necessarily Christian message, but it's certainly a an economically conservative one. Okay, so then he says, you know, these young men putting themselves six feet underground. He's talking about the suicide epidemic among young American males. Right. Working age males are are being devastated by depression, anxiety, and suicide. Right. Jordan Peterson has talked a lot about this. You know, yes. that's another idea that as conservatives and particularly as Christians, we can say, preach it, brother. Yeah, but here's the problem. He is suggesting that it's the rich men north of Richmond oh. that are causing people to c- commit suicide. And I, I don't believe that's the case. Oh. I don't believe it's rich men north of Richmond. I think it's people who have rejected hope. You know, in order to, to live and thrive, um, from a physical standpoint, you have to have air, water, sun, you know, light, the basics. In order to thrive psychologically, you, you have to have hope. You have to have a, a feeling in a world where despair becomes common. You have to have some way to think that things are going to get better, that you're, you've got a, a better future. And I, that has more to do with your own drive and your own ambition and your own abilities to rise above your circumstances. 
And when once the world comes along and says, okay, A, you're you're dependent on the government and you're never going to get out from under that. You just as well accept the fact that the government's going to take care of you. That kills drive and ambition. And eventually it kills the will to live because you have no purpose. You have nothing to live for. If all you're living for is a government check, then one day you're going to wake up and go, is this all there is? I'm going to sit here and play video games and get my money from the government to make my meals. And then, and then what? I'm going to die one day. Well, it just as well be today because there's no future in that. So that, that I mean, the fact that he, that, that he's touched such a nerve and people have responded so favorably to his song tells me that he's put his finger on a real live oh, problem. Ab- absolutely. Now, his diagnosis might not be exactly correct, but he's definitely put his finger and said, is this the source? But like a chiropractor, you know, does it hurt right here when I push right here? Yes, that hurts. So he's definitely hit the sore spot. And I appreciate you talking about, you know, ability and your natural abilities, because as far as I can discern, success and, and, and particularly as it relates to the American dream is built on three pillars. And those three pillars are ability, opportunity, and ambition. And it's your ability is given to you by God, and that is not distributed evenly among us. You have more ability in many areas than I do. I have I can oh, yeah. I can You're... plant some plants and diagram a sentence. Okay, sure. I can do that well. But the fact is that some people are going to fly higher just on the strength of their wings than other people are. Right. And if you don't like that, take that up with God because He's the one that's responsible for that. Right. Your and, ambition. And let me say this: uh-huh. your, your ambition, because this is going to lead into ambition. Yep. Your ability oftentimes can be overridden by your ambition. And, and you're going to talk about the, the, the purpose That's of right. ambition here. That's but right. in other words, people can actually rise higher than their ability would normally take them if they are hardworking, dedicated, That's and right. they overcome some of their shortcomings by amplifying through ambition some of their other gifts. It's like me on a basketball court. I'm a terrible basketball player, but I got more energy on the court than anybody else out there. And so I make up in speed and enthusiasm what I lack in skill. So <laughs> That's a good way to put it. it I mean, it, it, it is. Yeah. It's kind of funny, yeah. but it's really true. No, it's true. And, and so, um, yeah, your, your ambition is the one of those three variables that really you control. And you're not the only one that controls it because family upbringing and, and, and educational background and some of that stuff and, you know, va- cultural values... Um, do feed into a person's sense of drive and purpose and right. self-efficacy and that that you know internal locus of control, whether you feel like you can actually change your life. All that stuff is psychological and it plays into ambition. It does. But but at the end of the day, you control your life in terms of your ambition, your well, drive. And, and the way that you can prove that, I mean, you know, if we had never seen anyone rise above their circumstances. And you're thinking of some examples. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, how many people can you name who were uh, born in terrible circumstances and yet they rose to great heights? You know, I'm listening to uh, the biography of of Teddy Roosevelt right now. Mm -hmm. Now, he was born into privilege. Right. Uh, He was born into a fairly wealthy family, Hmm. but he was asthmatic. He was physically weak. He had all these problems as a, as a young man that appeared to be limiting his ability to succeed. And he, his drive and ambition overcame those circumstances to the point that obviously he became president of the United States, but he did some pretty other amazing things. I yes, mean, he, he was did. a rancher. He was a cowboy. He was, he's charged up San Juan Hill. Was there anything I mean, he didn't do? It, he, he's, he's a, as they would say, he was a man's man. I mean, he was a an example of what you know the kind of of the good kind of masculinity because he did treat um, you know women in his life with respect and love and all of that. Hmm. So it was a good kind of masculinity. But but he he was able to overcome those things. I mean, you can think about Abraham Lincoln. You can think you know Washington. George Washington was born into um, you know upper class circumstances. Abraham Lincoln was not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clarence Thomas was not. Exactly. Tim Scott was not. Definitely. These are people who simply, by the drive and ambition that they had, realized that their opportunities were going to be limited, and so they created opportunities from themselves with the drive and ambition that made them move forward. And that opportunity being the third pedestal that you've kind of referenced there is that's that's the government's job. That's where the government and society really can play a part and can hold you back. They really can. And that's right. where Richmond, North of Richmond, he's keying in on the opportunity part and right. saying, you know, this new world, it's a, it's a bleeping shame 
how the world has come to nowadays. Right. You know, and well, what he's talking about is I lack opportunity. You know, my I, I work overtime hours and I don't I'm not getting paid enough to make ends meet. Right. He didn't say it that way. I said it that way. Okay, um, so he's focusing only on one of those three aspects, and you can overcome a deficit in any of the two by a surplus in any one. And 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 just by way of example, you talk about born into privilege. You take the Kennedy family, okay? Not necessarily maybe talented people on their own merits, not more or disproportionately than anyone else, but they were born into privilege and they had all the opportunity laid out in front of them. They had a, a, a golden road put out right in front of them. So those types of situations can engender resentment in us, in the people who were who have to struggle, you know, or live normal lives, right? Um, because then you get into legacy enrollments, you know, at Harvard, and you you know you're on family money, or you get an inheritance, you're born into blah blah blah, or nepotism, or any of that stuff. You know, those are disproportionately good opportunity zones, and people can succeed on the back of mere opportunity. They, they can, but here, but but again, the point you made at the beginning of that mm -hmm. is that opportunities can be created by hmm. ambition and the amount uh, and the the ability that God has given Isn't you. that the beauty of America is that to we me, have created a place where you can succeed. Right. Anyone can. And the government's role is to guarantee equal opportunity, is to make sure that people are not discriminated against, to make sure that the laws are upheld, that justice is evenly distributed, and that everybody has the same opportunity to succeed as far as their abilities will take them. And that's never going to happen. You know, that equal opportunity is a myth, I think. But, I, but you look at a person who doesn't have the same opportunities and you say, yeah, you're going to have to try harder. I had to, you know, there were things in school that I had to try harder because I wasn't as gifted as the person sitting next to me. Well, I had to work harder for yeah. a, a C than they did for an A. Yeah. Okay. Well, and here's the, here's the thing about, I, I, I mean, I, I'm going to apply this to a stage of life, for example. Um, as I get older, you know, when I, when I was in my 30s and 40s, um, I could sit down at a microphone, recall facts hmm. uh, very easily, very quickly. In fact, I relied on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I relied on the fact that my mind would produce what I had read in great detail, and I didn't have to worry about going back and looking at it again. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I'll be 66 pretty soon. And it's not that, you know, I'm my cognitive ability is shot, but it's not, it doesn't operate the same way it did when I was 40 mm -hmm. or when I was in my 30s. Mm -hmm. So what do I have to do? Am I going to just say, well, I can't do this the way I used to, or I can supplement with notes. I can have the information available and have my ability to go back and check it while I'm talking about it so that I can keep my train of thought rolling. And, and it used to, I didn't have to do that. Now I do. Uh, now, isn't there some sort of essential oil for that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's, I'm sure, and I'm sure mar medical marijuana would fix it too. If that's, <laughs> but, but here's, and I'm being facetious, but, uh, but, but here's the thing. It, it, see, that gets back to ambition and attitude. Mm -hmm. You're presented with a set of circumstances that, you know, maybe are not fair because sometimes life isn't fair. That's, that's right. And you sometimes have to live in that world. Sometimes you're right. Equal opportunity, even though uh, sometimes the government makes bad decisions about what equal opportunity looks like. Like when the government decides that we're going to abandon equal opportunity and we're going to move toward equity, which is an impossibility. You cannot guarantee that everybody's going to have the same outcome in life. That's what equity is. It's not equal opportunity. It's equal outcomes. And your outcomes are going to be determined by way too many things for the government to be involved in that. And once they go toward equity, they cease to make sure that equal opportunity is in place and more people are pushed down. It's a misunderstanding of, of the way the world works. Right. And that's true. Yeah, so it's a to kind of to that point, um, you know, the, the worldview of the Richmond, North of Richmond, the politicians does matter to the daily lives of people. And so Oliver Anthony is not wrong in pointing that out. It's just not right. the only factor, nor do I think it's the most relevant factor or the most influential factor in the in in, in the mix. But let's just this is where it get it got puzzling to me, is because Oliver Anthony expresses ideas that conservatives can, can agree with, but he himself has disavowed his song as being some sort of capitalist anthem. He went on 
Joe Rogan, and he said, you know, he resented the fact, kind of, that this that his song had been used at the Republican debate, that his song was being, you know, capitalized on by a bunch of Republicans and conservatives, saying, this is our conservative anthem. This expresses a essentially conservative. He said, I'm not a conservative. He's a Bernie Sanders supporter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's a he's a socialist. His his sympathies lie in the direction of socialism. So the fact that a socialist and a capitalist can both listen to these exact same lyrics and say, preach it, brother. That made me really, really scratch my head for a little bit and say, what kind of message is actually being expressed here? Is there something that transcends our economic commitments? And I, so I couldn't make sense out of that. But I, I want to back up to another thing that you said. And I, I think it's unreasonable to listen to the lyrics of this song outside of the cultural context that we're in, in which work is viewed as one of the bad things about life. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. I mean, work is a gift from God. I mean, it was before I, the fall. I realized, God yeah, said, "Put us but, in the garden." He said, "Now work, work till the till the ground. Do do all these things." Now, work was affected by the fall, sure, because everything's been affected. Sure. In fact, part of the curse is that you will now have to, by the sweat of your brow, toil, toil, and you're going to have right. to deal with the briars, and you're going to yes. have to deal with you know. Ask but, me how I feel about briars. I, I'm sure you <laughs> have a lot of opinions, uh, but you know, and 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 all of that is part of the 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 curse of sin that's in the world at For the moment. Sure. So, um, you, you know, I, but but at the end of the day, work is a noble thing. And that's it, and, and America has leaned right toward work and said that right. work is a gift. It's a virtuous thing. Well I and see, a work uh, ethic is a thing to be desired. But I see articles now, you know, that are out there that say that we need to follow the European model because they've learned how to work so much less. See, and, and that's to, where and I that's, start to hear this thing rhyme with a bunch right. of really problematic ideas. This right. song rhymes with the demands that are being made right now by the United Auto Workers who are on strike up in they Michigan. They want a four-day work week. They want a four-day work right. week. They want, to, they want to get paid for 40 hours when they work 30. They want a 40% raise over the next five years. Well, they 40... dropped that down to 36, <clears throat> so... <laughs> I think wow. my point still stands. Your point, your point stands. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, in Paris, you know, people are rioting in the streets because they try and raise the retirement age from sixty to sixty-two. Oh my goodness! I'm so sorry for the French who have to work. Right. You know, and that's the whole thing is they think that the point of life is leisure. That is not a Christian idea. The well, point of of life is not to work for thirty years and then sit on your keister or work on your golf game. Even yeah. after you're retired, God expects you to do things. It's like the point of working for 30 years was to get yourself to a point of financial independence to where then you could pivot to other more ministry type work, to where right. you could switch into sage role, you know, right. and you can help your kids you don't, raise you their don't grandkids. Move, you don't move to Florida, buy a golf cart, no. and uh, drive no. up and down the streets no. or sit on the beach. And, and, and even if it wasn't Christian, it's not American what he's saying because what he's basically saying, I mean, the American spirit is can do. You know, it's whether it's Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone tackling the American frontier, Lewis and Clark, you know, this, we can do this. It doesn't matter if it's hard, we can do it. You know, we can solve this problem. It's the Thomas Edison, you know, I'm going to solve this problem no matter how many attempts it takes. That can-do spirit, and this song is exactly the opposite. Of that. This is, I can't do it because of those dirtbag politicians up in Washington who are holding me back. That well, is so un-American. That's Marxist. Uh, it, it is in the sense that, th that what it's promoting is not a change in attitude that changes your circumstance. It is a revolt. In other words, what, what this song calls for is for the proletariat to rise up and overthrow the bourgeoisie, and that—that that is basically Marxism. It, it's the idea class that, warfare. that it's class warfare. And I heard that and, in every reaction video I ever watched. They—they sure. they basically identified themselves with the oppressed majority right. and said, "It's those, it's that rich, wealthy, privileged minority that are doing it to us now, every day." A Christian worldview out of this song does rise from the fact. That God is concerned about the weak and the poor. For sure, he I mean is. that. And w and when somebody captures that, then okay, for that part of it, we say yes. If the government is oppressing people, but or it, even if corporations are right, you know, right. you should be fairly compensated. You and should I'm keying in on fairly compensated for your right. labor. And he says, I'm working overtime hours, so that means more than forty. He let's say he's putting in fifty hours a week, and he's not making ends meet out of that. 
But I see, think we need to look at that as a real problem. Let's go back to the UAW strike. Uh -huh. What they're claiming is that corporate profits are up and that those who run the company should not be the ones that are benefiting from that. Benefiting or from not that. so disproportionately so, right. to the, because that, they're making their money on the backs of look, the laborers. Look how rich they're getting. Look how much money they've got. Look at this executive over here who's got this house on the lake. Okay, that is class warfare. That's stoking That's the That's fire of class warfare. That's it's right. not saying we want a uh, a substantial. I mean, we want a living wage. We want uh, what we need in order to take care of our families. And the well, definition and what is that, of that. What does that mean, Tony? Well, what does that mean? Well, it depends. What is taking care of our families because right. they want to use words like "I can't even feed my family," and it's like, right? Okay, I don't think you really mean that. I really, I, I think what you mean is that you can't drive a Tesla and you don't have the pool and you don't have the amenity or what? what's the word I'm after, the luxuries. That, you don't have the fudge rounds. That that, yeah, that, <laughs> they that's have plenty of fudge rounds, okay. trust me. Yeah. Fudge rounds are cheap. But you don't have the luxuries of life, the niceties that the corner office gets. Yeah. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I really feel bad for you. Okay. I actually really do. This is Austin Barker being genuinely sympathetic is I'm sorry that a factory worker is never going to get the luxuries of life. Like, I'm sorry about that, okay? Well, but, but no, no, I would argue against that. I, I think the, the luxuries of life have been amplified to the point that a factory worker, somebody, work, let, let, well, let's talk about a factory worker. Okay. BMW. Yeah. Or people that work at BMW, I mean, you're on the assembly line at BMW, you have some of the luxuries of life. And compared to the rest of the world, now, if you're a, um, a worker in a Chinese sweatshop, you're never going to see the luxuries of life. That's right. But my argument would be that anywhere that you get paid to do a job in the United States, if you manage your money well, you have the opportunity to have some of the luxuries of life, Not maybe not... Of course not the ones, like, I, I, we have good friends that live on Lake Lure. I mean, they have a house on Lake Lure. And um, so we go there from time to time, and we ride around with them on the boat, and we look at some of that. Now, they have, a, they, they have what I would call, in that environment, a modest lake house. It's nice. It's very nice. Mm -hmm. But it's not opulent or over the top. Mm -hmm. Now, you ride around out there, and you look at some of these houses. I mean, some of them are just unbelievable, mm -hmm. you know? And, and and you think to yourself, and it causes me to think sometimes, wow, you know, I could never have something like that. What would I have to change? What would I have to have done to go back in my life to get to a point where something like that could be? My, and then I hey, stop. You could write a song if you just get kind of work that's with what the lyrics I'm, a little that's bit. That's what there. I'm saying. And But then I stop and I realize that when I go down that path in my thinking, what I'm really doing is saying, God, you've cheated me. I haven't. I don't get. I don't have what they have, and so it, you must. You, you know, you have done me wrong, and that is horrible. That is, that is a horrible mindset. Because it's not good it, for you. It's not. I mean. I mean, if you drive, it, if you live your life like that, that's driving on square wheels. You are not going to right. ever be happy. God has blessed me beyond measure. Uh, I. I mean, and 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 you. When you look at the things that are really important yeah. that have value be first of all value beyond the grave but value beyond the monetary uh, uh, things of life for sure I mean family closeness um, a life that's lived that is helping others not causing others to have to change their life to to come along with you I mean even I mean, having a dog that loves you it's well, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking and there's yeah. a dog in this guy's video I just like to uh, make sure that my wife is listening notice the, the he talked about a dog that loving you is an important thing okay go ahead I think I missed that's an a, inside joke yeah yeah that's so. well we've I'm, I'm a dog person. And, uh, but I love my wife more than I love dogs. So she, and I, I get it. We, she just won't have another maybe dog a, in the house. Maybe a gerbil or something. Well, no, <laughs> I, I mean, I, a, a dog in the house. I mean, that's a, that, that comes with a whole lot of baggage. It does. It does. That, yeah. But okay. To your point, Paul encourages us to live a life. He said, I've learned to be rich. I've learned to be poor, but I've also learned in whatsoever state I find myself, whatever financial condition I've learned to be content. And right. that's the Christian message on this. It is. And, and that is directly antithetical to well to a couple and, and, a, and a couple of things he i've really been thinking about since i talked to you yesterday why did this song strike such a chord yeah okay 
That was my first question. There, there's something beyond the message that is at work here. It's the method. When you listen to the the music, it's plaintive. It it's, is. It's a cry. Angsty. It's like somebody was crying out, and, and then somebody came along, heard it, and put some music behind it. So the way his voice rises and falls. That's right. And, you know... So it's a, uh, I think that if you took these lyrics mm-hmm. and put them in a different setting, if you had a different kind of music behind it. More of a John Denver kind yeah, of a ballad style. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine John Denver singing mm-hmm. this song? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't. But mm-hmm. it, it would be, that it, it wouldn't have the same impact Interesting. as a guy. And, and, and again, who he is. Yeah. He struggled the impact from a background. He struggles song. with alcoholism, depression. Right. He uses marijuana. You know, he's talked about all these different things. Right. He struggled with unemployment, and you know, I mean, he he, he has lived the struggle of his song. I'll be fair to him. He has. That, oh so. yes, and and again, that fuels the emotion behind and it. And I don't want to discount that struggle because I people struggle nowadays. I know I, they do. I couldn't sing this song right. and make it work, right? Because it it doesn't have the life behind it that drives the message. And so that's part of the reason that it's caught on. And, and but, I think that Christians have been seduced by some of those words that we can't, and that, and exactly the effect that you're describing and the fact that we want to be sympathetic to people who struggle and, you know, we, we don't want to be cads and say, well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and well, all and, that kind of stuff. And there's a very palatable anti-government sentiment. For right sure. Now that, For sure. And some of it, a lot, well, let me just say, a lot of it is justified. I, I agree because with that. Because we I talk about on this program regularly about how the government is not creating. Let's get back to equal opportunity that allows ambition and ability that's right. to rise to its highest that's level. Right. That's the right. government is it's shutting not, down equal that's opportunity. Right. That's right. So yeah, I get the frustration. Yep, me too. One other thing I want to point out here, mm-hmm. and then uh, if we have any time left, we'll have a short conversation about why men talk about Rome, uh, but. Mm. Uh, this is he, he. You know, he talks about Anthony talks about in, in when he sings Psalm thirty-seven, seventeen, uh, and following. Yeah. And so let me let, let, let me think about this scripture for a second. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. Yeah. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. That's the Christian message. It is a Christian message. That is a Christian economic message right there. But here's the thing. When he goes on Joe Rogan, and I actually heard this, because somebody was playing a clip of it, and he Mm -hmm. read this passage, Mm -hmm. and Joe Rogan used a profanity to describe it. He said, that's some good, and you can imagine, talking about the Word of God. So disingenuous. Okay, see, this, this is the thing. If you're going to talk about it, 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 this this is a passage that talks about the wicked, and part of the the wickedness of the wicked is that they put their thumb on the righteous, and they keep the righteous poor. They keep the righteous in uh, without an abundance of things. But who are the righteous? The righteous are not people who happen to find themselves in a situation where they're being oppressed. They, they're that's it. Not everybody. So that's it's, a super the, easy error to make, and especially in a culture that's dominated by a critical theory mood, is to right. arbitrarily assign virtue to people based on their, a subscription to their exactly. class. Exactly. So, so if Charles, you're, even Charles Dickens made this mistake. It's a yeah. super easy mistake to make. Okay, Charles Dickens thinks that people are virtuous. The good guys are the poor ones. The right. bad guys are the rich ones who are always doing it to the little man. And I know? actually talked about this from the book of James. Uh-huh. You know, James tells us that if somebody comes in yes. that's rich, yes. you do not elevate them That's because right. of their wealth. Right. But you also don't elevate someone 
Because of their poverty. That's exactly it. That's you, the whole anti-racism thing. Exactly. Let's stop using race as a determining factor and in let, how we treat people. And let's stop using class exactly. as an automatic definition of good and bad. Low class, good. Upper class, bad. That is the French Revolution. This is what it looks like to stress <laughs> and, test ideas, okay? Is, right. to, is, to, is to put some light on them like this is and say that essentially... This song cannot be divorced from the critical theory mood of our culture, and it does makes the same error that critical race theory makes. Yeah. And it, ass, it assigns value and virtue to people based simply on their relationship to their tribe or their class that they belong to. Well, That's an error. Yes. Well, let, let, let's, let's shift gears here. Okay. I think we've fleshed this out very well. Uh, and we don't have a lot of time for this one, but I thought it'd be interesting to comment on it a little bit. Um, I don't spend a whole lot of time on social media. I probably should spend more simply because people that do um, and have programs like this, podcasts, they're much more informed about what people are saying and thinking. And, and But I just find that I'm better off personally if I drink from wells that are making me better. And when, when I go on social media and I see some of the comments and the conversations – that, that doesn't necessarily make me feel like I'm improving myself. And so I may, you know, go into that at some point, uh, but I don't spend the kind of time there that a lot of people do. Um, and there's not, look, I'm not condemning people that, that spend time on social media. That's fine. It's just that for me, I find my stimulation is better served in reading a book or listening to a book or listening to an, a conversation or a podcast or something like that, as opposed to going out there and being on TikTok every five seconds or being on X and, and commenting. You know, I, I'm told all the time, well, if you're going to have a podcast, you've got to get out there on X. You've got to promote yourself. You've got to talk, you know, make comments, be provocative. Um, I actually... And that's that's no, not we're, me. We're operating from the quieter middle space. <laughs> uh, a reference Ooh, to the unconditional there, conference I? coming up. With, yeah, you did. Coming up with Andy Stanley. Yeah. All right. Well, well, here's the thing, though, that's going on on the Internet. Um, and, and there's a story out there to back this up today from the Daily Signal. And the title of it is, of course, I think about the Roman Empire daily. Don't You don't? On TikTok... Women were asking, there's a, apparently a thing where women ask men questions. And the, one of the questions that got asked, that, that actually looks like you. Um, we're looking at a picture of a guy in a Roman, Ro, Roman outfit here. Uh, but last week is the opening of the article. My wife asked, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? Her question didn't come out of nowhere. TikTok might be a minefield of Chinese cyber threats, which it is. But it has no, birthed. It isn't. A, yeah, it is. No, it isn't. But it has birthed a trend in which women ask men how often they contemplate the glory that was Rome, and the trend took off because wives were surprised to hear their husbands say they think about the Roman Empire every day or a number of times a week. Now, isn't that fascinating? That this is fascinating. Is, okay, of course, the New York Times weighs in. And some of the other progressive outlets, and they claim that the reason men think about the Roman Empire oh, no, is because it's patriarchal. Oh, patriarchal. I mean, oh, it's course. you know, men are, are in charge, and they get to decide what happens to the women, and they get to decide what the children do, and they're they're little gods in their own homes, and blah blah blah. What most men, a lot of men though, and I found this interesting, say the reason they think about the Roman Empire. They're concerned because they know enough of the history of the Roman Empire, Empire to know that we in the West are behaving in a way that led to the fall of Rome. I mean, you need to remember, Rome did not, and most people, a lot of people don't know this because they're not, they don't, they don't care about history. History is incredibly important. We either learn from it or we are crushed under its weight. But Rome fell because the Visigoths. That Rome, eventually, the border of Rome was open to the point that the Visigoths just waltzed in and took over Rome. But don't forget by, about the Ostrogoths. What? Oh, the yeah. Ostrogoths, yeah. too. Well, anyway. You always all, have to say Ostrogoths and Visigoths. Yeah. Okay. I don't know which it is. Well, who, whoever they were, they were just people who said, look, 
The door's open over there. Let's go on in and have a party. I mean, that's <laughs> essentially, Rome ceased to be, it, from, and it, 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 it fell from internal corruption. That's right. It, and of course, now, in the ancient world, when Christianity basically became the flavor of the month uh-huh. under Constantine, uh-huh. there were those who accused Christians of causing the Roman Empire to weaken uh-huh. to the point that it fell. And that's why Augustine wrote, you know, he was he wrote um, The City of God. Right. But because he was pushing back against this idea that Christianity had led to the fall of Rome. Hmm. And he talked about some of the real factors. And the real factors open immigration. I mean, they they began to allow the army to be, uh, instead of, of getting soldiers who were Roman citizens, they they got German mercenaries and paid them to defend the country. Now, when you you know, right now, what's happening in Ukraine, whether you're in favor of funding, I don't, that's not the point. My point is you've got an incredibly strong Russian military that went into Ukraine thinking they would crush people that were defending their country. People fight better took when it the seriously. cause is their own. Well, and, right. and I mean, they took it seriously. Yep. This is their homes, their families. That's right. They were, they were, there was pride in who they were as Ukrainians. It's the story of the American Revolution. It is, yeah. and uh, at least a part of it. Right. And so that's, you know, that, that doesn't, that, that, when, that, when that happens, you see that it's not just military might, it's the attitude of the people. And in Rome, they lost that. They, that Rome fell because of morality, that immorality, I should say, right. became rampant yep. to the point that corruption in the government, everybody began to simply live for pleasure. Man, they, be, they became uh, very uh, Epicurean. Yeah, that's the world the, I want to live in. Yeah, I mean, give me more of that. Just, just yeah. Um, I mean, it, it became decadent to the point that government couldn't even hold itself together anymore. And so and debt. I mean, Rome, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot of money to keep a slave empire, empire up and to keep the army paid and to keep all of the uh, accoutrements of Rome operating. So, you know, they, and they focus went focus on entertainment. They right. shifted from value in life being work and production. And it, literature. Work was considered and philosophy yeah. and all of this. Yep. And it took a long time. But eventually, the collapse came, not because there was an, an army that could defeat the Roman legions. It's because the Roman legions disappeared. And didn't Alexander Solzhenitsyn level the same accusation at the West in he the did. 1970s? He well, said that we don't, the communism doesn't need to come and conquer America. America's right. going to do it to itself. Well, think about, I mean, what I just uh, recently listened to the biography of Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. And when you go back and look at World War II, Churchill believed that the French would stop the advance of the German blitzkrieg. In other words, the French had a reputation of having an an incredible army. They had the Siegfried, the, the, um, what's it called? Not the Siegfried line. It was the Maginot Maginot. line. Mm -hmm. The Maginot line, they they had defenses that were uh, uh, impenetrable militarily, they thought. France was a major military power at the time that World War II started. Uh, that and, is not my idea of the French. Well, here's the thing: the French army just melted away. I mean, when the you know when you listen to Churchill, you you, you hear his writings. Uh, he was astounded that as Germany moved in, it it wasn't so much that they were defeated; they just didn't fight. They 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 didn't have the will. They retreated. They uh, and then finally. Um, you know, they they struck a deal with the the uh, with Hitler. There was a portion of the French government that actually um, agreed and let Hitler come on in and, and take over the Vichy. The yeah, mm-hmm. the Vichy government. Mm-hmm. So it, it you know, it, it, this is the thing. This is the point I'm trying to make. All of those factors were true about Rome. Let yep. me, let's see if I can. I've got uh, Glenn, Dr. Glenn Sun, Sunshine wrote a book called Why You Think the Way You Do. Mm-hmm. And he's really associated with the Colson. Uh, yeah, no, he is. Family. He's a historian. Yeah. And so being in the Colson Fellows Program, uh, we're reading some of his writing. Um, so I want to... Oh, don't do this to me. Yes. I don't want to do that. Look at this. 
This is what happens when you're trying to do something live and it doesn't work. All right, this is the last paragraph that Glenn Sunshine wrote about the, about the fall of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, however, the empire itself was in trouble. Too many centuries of uh, antinatalism and too much reliance on immigration to make up the gap in population combined with administrative and military blunders to leave the borders of the empire wide open to migrating barbarian tribes. Roman authority in the Latin-speaking West collapsed under the weight of its own incompetence and the onslaught of the Germanic tribes. The eventual fusion of Rome, Germanic, and Christian traditions would result in the emergence of a new culture and worldview in medieval Europe, but it would be a long, slow transition. So, he, he points out there the main factors and all, all of those the rich factors. West of Athens. Well, see, that's, it, I, I made, that's right. It, that's my point, is that all of those factors are in play today. Mm-hmm. And, a lot, and, and so and rather than it being thinking about Rome from a yeah standpoint, most of these men are thinking about Rome from the standpoint of yeah. where are we yep. in the same process? $33 trillion in debt. Uh, a military that was embarrassed in Afghanistan with a terrible blunder of pulling out of Afghanistan without a plan. Um, I mean, we could we could we could go on and Open talk. Borders, a, yeah, antinatalism. Uh, we have right. In other words, we're we don't have a replacement birth rate. We don't have. Uh, we're bringing people in to do work. You know, when you hear the phrase, we want people to come here to do work that Americans won't do, well, if that's really true, and I, I don't think it's true, um, but it it's it's saying that we can't sustain ourselves without high levels of immigration because people don't want to work. And You don't think that's true? Well... I think you hope that's not true. I, I think it's true in some areas. Okay. I don't think it's true. I don't think Americans, it's that Americans don't want to work, although... There, there is a, a, a subpopulation of Americans who think they're owed a living and they don't want to work. Mm-hmm. I think most Americans, when they say when, when they say that, Americans want good-paying jobs where they get to do things that they're very interested in and want to thrive in. They don't, they don't, and and some of the jobs that immigrants are paid to do is not what their idea of having a good job is. I think as a parent, what I heard you just say is that they want to eat all the little marshmallows out of the Lucky Charms box and they don't want any of the actual cereal. Well, but but you know what? That's that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, that goes back to ambition, right? I mean, if your ambition... Look, I was I worked a third shift job at the home-like chainsaw plant when I was in college. You've never had any fewer and than three I, jobs at a time. No, that's true. But but anyway, when I was one summer, last summer I was in college for Denise and I got married, I worked on the third shift at the Home Light Chainsaw Plant. It's not even in existence anymore. Huh. But I straightened guide bars and I black oxided muffler bodies and I put guide bars through a 3,000-degree blast furnace and to the make them And the fact that you can still tell me exactly what you did said that that built something into your character that well, was super important. Well, it was, it was good. Manual you know labor what? does something for a person. But at 2 o'clock in the morning... When I was waiting for my lunch break to come at two forty-five, I mean, it, no, I didn't hate my life, but in my mind, oh. I'm going. This is why I went to college. This is why I want to do this because I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. You recognize now, there's, manual labor as a stepping stone to something greater. But there's nothing. I want to. I want to hasten to say. There's nothing wrong with manual labor. That's right. There's nothing wrong with doing that, That's and right. some people want to do that. They, they they do like those jobs yep. and they work for overtime pay or they work for advancement or yep. get, you know getting a, a more per hour or working on a different line. And I'll even say the politically insensitive thing is some people are never going to fly higher than that. They just their well, ability won't take them any higher well, than that. Well and, and, and it's it's unwise not to recognize economic realities like human realities like that. But you can that can be your life and you can have a good life for sure in you America. Can. You can oh, raise absolutely. children, send them to school, and Some go of the fishing on the weekend. Some people I know have I mean, mud on their hands, but underneath that mud is a heart of gold. Now, part of the problem is that when I was working there, a lot of the people, when they got off from work, they didn't go home and go to bed. They went, they went to drowned, a bar. They drowned their and troubles. They, and they and that's exactly what Oliver Anthony said. Yes. That, okay. But, but why did they do that? See, that gets back to the question of the psalm, that the righteous 
are not going to be. It is not a righteous thing. That's right. To look at your life and say, I have nowhere to go, so I'm just going to go drink up my paycheck today. That's never going to get you anywhere. And it certainly is not the right attitude toward God who created you, loves you, and gave you the abilities that you have. I think the Roman love of leisure, it points in exactly that direction. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I'm going to think more about Rome now. Uh, (laughs) Well, if you do... Uh, be sure and go on TikTok and talk about it. Get I'm your wife. I'm not going on TikTok. You. I'm okay. not thinking about Rome on TikTok. Okay? okay. Well, I was just saying. Look, that's all the time we've got today. I really appreciate you coming and doing this. It was this. really fun. It was fun. Yeah, it was a good day. This is the kind of stuff we used to do on the radio all the time. Um, if you like truth and politics and culture um, and you download the podcast today, please take just a second and give me a good review and talk to your family, family and friends. Get them to follow. Try out the podcast. See if they like it. I'm live on Facebook every morning from 7.30 to 8.30. And for all my Facebook listeners that were live today, thank you very much. God bless you. And I'll see you tomorrow.